Well, good evening. Easter, Easter happened. It uh, really did. And now we're into this next season of, it's called Eastertide, which stretches up to ordinary time. And we're going to carry on in this uh, next few weeks and months in talking about, first of all, the, what happened to Jesus now after the resurrection through to Pente- Ascension and Pentecost. And we'll gradually be getting into the stories of the Acts in the early church and working out what it was. How did the people in Acts begin to identify the cultural problems that were going on? And what did they do about that? And how does that affect us as we engage with South Arlington and the people around us? And so we're going to carry on today with finding out what happened immediately after the resurrection. So please stand for the reading of the Gospel. This is the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Glory to you, Christ. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in this morning, and when they didn't find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us when he talked to us on the road while he opened to us the scriptures? And he rose that very hour and returned to Jerusalem And they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. Then they told him, told what had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Please have a seat. 
I was given uh, a copy of this painting by Daniel Bernal as a Christmas present by one of my children. And it's one of my favorite paintings. If you look into it and you see these three characters walking towards Jerusalem, just three ordinary kind of people with a very barren surroundings like the countryside outside Jerusalem is, this phenomenal sunset happening all around them. And as you look at those three characters, they could be absolutely anybody. But as you look at it and you think, but the one in the middle, perhaps with a slight glow to him, this God, incarnate God, God the creator of the universe, freshly resurrected, just that day probably, had been risen from the tomb, had conquered death, and here he is, walking along a dusty road, walking with people who are lost and confused and don't really know what's going on. I love it. It's an extraordinary, extraordinary place for Jesus to be right there. I mean, shouldn't he have gone to see his mom? Or maybe John? Uh, and we know that he did go and see Peter later on. But, but I love the fact that Jesus chose to go to this road heading out of Jerusalem to walk with two people, two people who we're not even 100% sure who the second one is. That's where he chooses to spend his time. I wonder, I wonder why. I wonder why he went and walked with these two. And who are these two? Well, first of all, they're people who are hugely puzzled by the story. They had such high expectations. It all seemed so clear. Jesus was going to change the world they lived in. Jesus was going to redeem Israel, rescue them from their oppressors once and for all. And from their reading of scriptures, it was just so obvious. But now disaster had struck. And the story was not turning out the way they expected it to be. They had read the scriptures and they had seen the promise of a victorious, conquering redeemer who would come and crush the oppressors. Somebody victorious, isn't that the way stories go? That a hero comes and beats all the baddies and everything's good that way? Heroes don't die on crosses. So what turned these two miserable individuals into people who just in a little while are going to turn around at nighttime and run back into Jerusalem? So first of all, who were they? Well, we know Cleopas was one, which means that he was probably in kind of like the second rung of disciples. He wasn't in the inner core. He wasn't one of the 12. So he probably wasn't at the Last Supper. And we don't know who the other one was. Um, there is a woman named in John's Gospel as Clopas's wife, Mary, who was at the foot of the cross. Most interpreters or readers of this say, well, probably that was Cleopas's wife. So for the sake of argument, I'm going to suggest that Mary was his wife and that these two were walking back. But it could have been one of the other fringe disciples, a friend of his. But it seems plausible that it was this couple. So although they weren't in the inner circle of disciples, they would have hung around on the edges. They would have heard the stories of the miracles. They would have perhaps even been present at some of them. They might have been there when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. So many stories would have circulated. Jesus had fed thousands of people. 
would they have heard those stories? And in all of them, they were looking for this redeemer, this redeemer, this person who was going to rescue them. And so just a week or so previously, they would have probably been in Jerusalem. They might well have waved their palm branches as Jesus rode in, as they waited with anticipation for what was going to happen next. But such an anticlimactic kind of day as Jesus then just went home for dinner at the end of it. They would have been there following the arrest, perhaps, and the trials. The news of Jesus being shuttled backwards and forwards between Pilate and Herod. Perhaps they were standing in the shadows watching. Or perhaps, like Peter, they pushed themselves a little bit forward to see what was going on. They'd probably been in the crowd when people were shouting for Barabbas to be released. And it seems likely they were there at the crucifixion watching their would-be redeemer die. Maybe they saw him being taken down from the cross and wrapped and carried and laid in the tomb. And with each passing moment, each passing day, their hopes just fading more and more soundly, their, their sense of disappointment ratcheting up. So many questions. And after the crucifixion through Holy Saturday, the Sabbath, they would have sat there with all the others mourning and perhaps going over the story over and over again, perhaps pulling up the scriptures, remembering the prophecies, interspersed with asking questions like, how's Mary? How's she doing? How is everybody? What are we going to do next? And then the next morning, the rumors circulating of angels and an empty tomb Again, you can imagine the kind of buzz of conversation. Did someone steal the body? What happened? Angels? Are you sure? I mean, angels? Really? Come on. Were they real? But clearly they weren't bought in enough to the cell of angels to stick around. And so these two, they set off and they go, well, we're going home. It's time to go. It's time to go and feed the animals and take in the crops and do the things that we have to do. And they set off. There was no point staying in Jerusalem any longer. And as they went, it says they were processing, they were talking about these things. I like to think that they were saying, well, what about that passage that Isaiah wrote? What about that? How did that work? Curious, questioning. And then the stranger pops up walking beside them, and he begins by asking them an open question. We've all been taught to ask what questions, and Jesus starts with a what question. What is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? I love the way that Luke describes this. It's such a graphic passage because then he says, they stood still. They just stopped. They stood still sad. Isn't that graphic? They're amazed that he has no idea. Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days? Jesus provokes them a little bit, perhaps, and asks them a follow-up what question. What things? And he then chides them, which I think is rather fun. He calls them, oh, foolish ones, whereas they were just calling him the foolish one, really. They were saying, aren't you an idiot? You don't have a clue what's going on. How could you have missed it? And he turns it back on them and says, no, 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 you're the foolish ones. So he begins to teach, and he goes back. It says he started with Moses, 
and the prophets. He reframes the narrative of Scripture for them. And perhaps he's done this before. Perhaps he's tried, but maybe they haven't ever really listened because they had all the pieces. They just had it put together all wrong. Their lens had been out of focus. Whatever imagery that you need, they'd simply misunderstood the way that the Scriptures fitted together to point to Jesus. There's a lovely... um, artist called Archimboldo, and I don't know if you've ever seen his pictures. So he paints something, and you see one thing, and then you turn it upside down, and it's something completely different. So this is a great picture of the bowl of fruit, and and then suddenly it's uh, the gardener's head made up of the onion and leeks. It's such fun. And perhaps it's a little bit like that for these disciples. They had all the pieces, but they'd made a bowl of fruit rather than the gardener's face. They had simply misinterpreted the way that the scriptures had been put together. And when Jesus took it back, it all did point towards him. They had seen it this way up, when really it was the other way up. So Jesus starts. He starts to explain to them. He shows them where it had pointed to the cross, where it had pointed to the necessity for the crucifixion, how it was absolutely essential for their sins to be forgiven, that there was a sacrifice, that there was a sacrificial lamb. And then the joy of the resurrection, then not not only was there crucifixion, but it was paid, it was done, it was finished, and there was a resurrection. And that's what had happened, and that's why he was there, standing there, flesh and blood in in front of them. And we now have the whole of the New Testament, which kind of explains and shows, and you can look back at the Old Testament in the light of the New Testament, and it looks, looks, can look so different. It makes sense. It all falls into place. Tom Wright says, Cleopas's puzzle statement only needs the slightest twist to turn it into a joyful statement of early Christian faith. Cleopas says, They crucified him, but we had hoped he would redeem Israel. And this phrase was going to become, they crucified him. And that was the way he did redeem Israel. And it was the resurrection that made all the difference. The resurrection was the missing piece, which they just hadn't seen until that point. It was the linchpin of the whole story. God sending his son, God becoming man incarnate, becoming flesh so that all flesh could be forgiven. A story beyond their capacity to create, but one which has that kind of crazy stamp of God all over it. I wonder if there are stories in the Old Testament which you kind of realize or have begun to realize over time, oh, that has relevance to this story. One of the fun things, maybe, you know, it's my teacher in me, can't help giving you homework. Maybe this week you could begin to find some stories and think, okay, how would I explain the resurrection to someone who doesn't understand it in the light of some Old Testament scriptures? Take some time to just pause. Maybe flip around in your Bible and think about that. I wonder how Jesus wove it all together. So at last, this little trio reached the house. Seven miles, a couple of hours maybe of walking and talking, though we don't quite know when Jesus joined them. But now it's getting late. It's getting dark. Not safe for a stranger to be out on the roads alone. And they were probably longing for the conversation to continue. This guy on the road who was making everything make so much sense, 
And so they invite him to stay for dinner. They urge him strongly, please stay, we want to hear more. And perhaps while they were, he'd been speaking, they must have sensed his authority because as in their home, it's Jesus. They give, they invite him to take the role of host and they give him the bread and say, will you bless it for us? And so he breaks it. Rather than Cleopas, Jesus takes the place of the host, just as we say later on, Jesus is the host at our table. And in that moment, they recognize him. Now they see, they see that what the women had said at the tomb was correct. They see that Jesus had risen again. They see that all the pieces of the puzzle had fallen into place and that Jesus was truly alive. And then he vanishes goes back to Jerusalem, I think, and begins to talk to the disciples. But at that very hour, immediately, no matter how tired these guys are, and they must have been so wrung out after the emotional roller coaster they had been on that weekend, after their walking backwards and forwards, they were tired. But at that very hour, they turned straight around, despite the dark, despite all the things that might have held them back, despite their perhaps selfish longing to go to bed, this news electrified them. And so without any delay, at that very hour, they turned and headed straight back to Jerusalem. I like to think that they ran down their road because they had an amazing story to tell. And I think this is why Jesus chose to spend time with these two, because they were willing to be taught. They were ready to listen they had the building blocks, and he just had to put them together. And then they responded. They didn't go, oh, great, now I understand. I'm going to bed. They got up with this enthusiasm to go and tell other people. So last week, Holy Week, we heard all the story fresh. We tried to kind of get into the story. We worked on reenacting it and using our, our minds and our senses to engage with the story of what happened in that Holy Week. We had it all explained and it all fitted together. But now, but now, what do we do with that story? How are we rushing somewhere to tell it? How do we hand handle the knowledge of truth that we have today? What do we do with this truth? And to be honest, in our society in these days, these truths can seem pretty divisive. As well as creating enormous hope in people, it can also create the kind of fear which leads to people suicide bombing churches. It's a truth which appears to many to be a threat to their culture or to their context. How do we handle this truth that we have? The disciples rushed back, even though perhaps they were aware that even in their context, it wasn't a safe thing. It wasn't going to be a safe thing to be a follower of Jesus. After all, he had just been crucified. But they still rushed back. I don't know, when did you last run? Other than for exercise, which, to be honest, for me, is a very long time ago anyway. But... Um, you know, just maybe think for a moment about when you last ran. I was trying to think about when, when do I run? You know, you run to meet someone. You run when you're excited. I can remember as a school teacher occasionally running to break up fights. But, you know, you run, you run when you've got something urgent, a sense of excitement. So if you're following Jesus, if you heard the story that we went through last week, who are we running to tell? And how are we going to tell them? 
Well, I love the fact that Jesus starts from a place of agreement. He starts by asking them questions. He starts with the what's. Where are you? What do you believe? What are the things that you've already got in your life that make sense to you? And I think those are really good places for us to start with people. Where are the things that make sense to you? Start with where you can find place in common. Because we all actually, deep down, have some kind of sense of the way the world should be. We don't believe in hatred and violence. We have a sense of that. So begin there when you're talking to people. Start by asking questions. And then perhaps ask the Holy Spirit to guide you to people who are ready to talk. Jesus was taken to these two who were so, so ready. And then speak from a place of love. Speak from a place of expecting to have a good conversation. We'll keep on telling you stories about our friends Steve and Tara, but they've gone to a place in West Asia where they pray every day for a conversation to happen. They ask the Holy Spirit to lead them to somebody who's ready to hear something of the gospel story in a, ground, in a place where there's a, so much opposition. But perhaps we should be asking again every day, what part of the truth can I share with someone? Not everything all at once, but what part of the truth can I share today with somebody? And we can speak from a place of real hope because the story of the crucifixion and resurrection is very hopeful. It's of extraordinary redemption. God has paid the price. And he's then willing to walk with us along stony paths. So we can ask the Holy Spirit to be with us. And we can joyfully identify with this story the secular world wants to undermine and reduce the truth that Christ is risen. And we have a real hope in a real God, a truth that is concretized in history. Jesus really did rise and rise again, and this is what Christians carry. So let us go as Christians out into our neighborhoods. And each of you, think about the ways that you're ready to tell those bits of the story which you know and understand. I hope you'll be in a small group this trimester and be in a community where we can talk together about how to talk and how to understand and deepen our own understanding. And it's also good to articulate these things and practice our stories. And then what about our community? One of the critical things in this is that the disciples want, were expecting God to redeem Israel. And although it had an implication for them individual, there was redemption and salvation for them as individual people, they also are talking here about the nation. They're talking about country, a people group. They're talking about community. And we now are God's people, the bride of Christ, the church. And so as we think about the way that God is coming to redeem, then there's a purpose for us in community. Jesus' intention is to redeem culture and people groups and nations. And there's something very collective about this. And so as we go into this next season, we're thinking about how do we respond collectively to the news that Jesus is here as a redeemer. And I hope that you'll keep coming this summer, week after week, as we try and work out with the wisdom of the Holy Spirit what our role is in speaking that truth from a place of confidence, a place of hope, and a place of love. This past week, there were actually collects for every day, and the one on Wednesday is one which I would like us to pray together right now as we think about this moment where Jesus broke bread and was recognized. Can we pray this together? O oh God, whose blessed Son 
made himself known to his disciples in the breaking of bread, open the eyes of our faith that we may behold him in all his redeeming work, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen.